Now entering Nerdist.com. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Cook, and you've found the Internet's number one most trusted source for Muppet boners and horny loners. Today you're going to hear round two featuring Kevin O'Shea, Sean Keane, Jules Posner, Ivan Hernandez, and Caitlin Gill, reading pieces they wrote based upon audience suggestions on June 6, 2013 at Cobb's Comedy Club in San Francisco. And speaking of San Francisco, competitive erotic fan fiction will be featured in the Comedy Tent at the Outside Lands Festival in San Fran on August 10th, 2013, with Matt Bronger, Emily Heller, Jesse Elias, Bruce McCullough from Kids in the Hall, Natasha Leggero, Joe Mandy, and Dave Hill. It's going to be great. Stay tuned after the show for other dates, or you can always follow me on Twitter, at Brian Cooking. Enjoy. Thank you. All right, so... Kevin, if I can get those suggestions, and let's welcome your round two comics who will be writing pieces based on those suggestions. Ivan Hernandez, Caitlin Gill, Sean Keen, Jules Posner, and Kevin O'Shea, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, buddy. Step on up. Let's start with Mr. Kevin O'Shea. Hi, everybody. So... Here's how this part works. I'm going to draw one. If he likes it, he can just take it and run with it. If he doesn't like it, I'll draw a second one, but then you guys decide which one he has to write. So your first suggestion, Kevin, is six feet under. I'll do six feet under. Yeah, of course you will. Why wouldn't you? Kevin O'Shea. Give it up for Kevin O'Shea. Keep it going for Jules Posner. Howdy. Sorry, Ivan. (laughs) I don't know any of these people. I live in San Francisco. Yeah, I don't know how I even got booked. I'm going to do that all night. Okay. All right. Jules Posner. That's me. Uh, <laughs> man, how do you feel about West Side Story? She's very excited about it, if that counts for anything. I'll see the other one. All right, all right. I'm going to feel it out. So the other option is the Berenstain Bears. So I leave it to you guys. Hold on. Uh, by applause, who wants to hear West Side Story? Just the woman who suggested it. Berenstain Bears? Jules, Berenstain Bears. Yep. Take that with you. All right. Ivan Hernandez, ladies and gentlemen. Ivan Hernandez. The real Ivan Hernandez. Oh, how do you feel about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Ivan? Oh, can I get a second just in Absolutely. Case? Absolutely. Let's see what else we got. Face off. <laughs> yes! <laughs> so, he doesn't yes. get to decide. It is up to you, good uh, people. Who wants to hear Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Who wants to hear Face Off? That's a great suggestion. All right. Caitlin Gill, ladies and gentlemen. Caitlin Gill. Hi, I'm Caitlin. Local favorite. Hi. Uh, oh, uh, Caitlin, your first option is Friar Ted. Father <laughs> Ted, you mean? Father Ted? Is it Father? Did I just correct the suggester? Well, it's, it says F-R, and I thought that stood for... It's Father? Father Ted? Father Ted. PBS show, right? No one in here, someone suggested it. Let me hear the second one. All right. Okay. I love Father Ted, though. Good suggestion. Father Ted. Uh, Little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> there are some consenting adults in Little Miss Sunshine. None that I'll talk about. No, of course not, because you're very good at this. All right, who wants to hear Father Ted? That's pretty good. <laughs> who wants to hear Little Miss Sunshine? I think we're going with Little Miss Sunshine. There you go. Caitlin Gill, ladies and gentlemen, and keep it going for Mr. Sean Keen. 
Sean, that's not a real thing. Okay, okay, this is great. Clue. Uh, I'll take it. Going with Clue. There you go. All right. Big hand for your round two comics. Sean Kane. Thanks, guys. So I had Clue. All right, here we go. Thank you all for coming here, said Wadsworth the butler, welcoming a motley assemblage of guests to the drawing room of an elegant mansion. I wish I was coming here, scoffed Miss Scarlet, her sheer red dress clinging to her voluptuous frame. I wish he was too, muttered Colonel Mustard, the old but sinewy, disgraced former military man. Oh, hush, sassed Mr. Green, the homosexual spy, who was furiously hiding a torrid online affair he'd had with Bradley Manning. No one wants to hear it, sister. You're here because the owner of this house, Mr. Body, has been blackmailing you, Wadsworth said. All the doors have been locked, and I've gathered you here to confront him. Why is he called Mr. Body, asked the widow, Mrs. White. See for yourself, exclaimed Mr. Body, emerging from a secret passage into the library, completely nude, his tumescent penis engorged and almost purple. It was the same color as the scarf, scarf worn by Professor Plum, the disgraced human sexuality professor, <laughs> who'd lost tenure after a sexual liaison with two of his twin students, the Parker brothers. <laughs> That's great. Oh, my, exclaimed Mrs. Peacock, the senator's wife, who was known for hosting her own private tea party events, using her own body as a serving service. Let's just put our cards on the table right now, exclaimed Mr. Body, when suddenly the lights went out. Mrs. Peacock screamed. Then they heard a grunt and a thump. When the lights came back on, Mr. Body lay unconscious on the floor, a large candlestick protruding from his asshole. (laughs) Oh, my God, exclaimed Wadsworth. Talk about an alternate ending, quipped Miss Scarlet. <laughs> One of us is a sodomite, yelled, Mr. W- uh, yelled Wadsworth, scampering furiously around the room. Here we go again, said Mr. Green, rolling his eyes. We have to get to the bottom of this, yelled Wadsworth. Somebody already did, replied Mr. <laughs> Professor Plum. I have an idea, said Mrs. Peacock. Let's get naked. She shrugged off her coat, revealing a taut body, nipples nearly as sharp as a knife. Without a word, Colonel Mustard approached, shrugging off his uniform one piece at a time. When his pants came off, he was as hard as a lead pipe and twice as thick. (laughs) Mrs. Peacock dropped to her knees. I've got a, well, humming telegram for you, she said, and proceeded to take him into her mouth. Professor Plum wasted no time. He stepped into the hallway and propositioned Miss Scarlet. I want to fuck you in the conservatory but not very conservatively, he declared. (laughs) Miss Scarlet stopped him. You can't make suggestions in the corridor, she said. It's the rules. (laughs) She grabbed him by the balls and led him into the billiard room. Do I need to call my pocket, she asked. A horny Mrs. White had already shed her clothes and dashed to the ballroom for, well, balling in the room. Wadsworth was sliding a white-gloved butler finger into her throbbing pussy. Wait, she exclaimed. Put this rope around my neck first. <laughs> As the autoerotic asphyxiation continued, Mr. Green reached behind Wadsworth and began furiously masturbating him from behind. Oh, God, you're wrenching it, Wadsworth exclaimed. <laughs> Wait till you feel my dagger, Mr. Green continued. 
Suddenly, lightning struck and the doorbell rang. A nude Colonel Mustard, mustache dripping with vaginal juices, ran and threw the doors wide open. The doors opened to reveal a new delivery girl. I'm your singing telegram, she read, before Mustard grabbed her head and forced it onto his cock. He'd climaxed already, too, but he was taking an extra turn. <laughs> a stranded motorist arrived, presumably to use the telephone, but quickly found himself in the middle of a sex sandwich. A sex sandwich that minutes later was soaked in mustard. <laughs> The orgy continued. Scarlet went down on the cook in the living room until she almost died with pleasure. Hearing the screams, a passing cop arrived, only to find far more people to frisk than he could handle. He never took his revolver out of its holster, yet within minutes he'd fired six shots, one in the face of everyone that Mr. Body had been blackmailing. Yvette the maid emerged from a secret passageway in the lounge and cleaned him up with her delicate French mouth. A rolling, throbbing, ten-person fuckfest slowly worked its way through all the rooms of the house. First Colonel Mustard with the cook in the lounge, then Mr. Green behind Professor Plum in the kitchen as Miss Scarlet sat and spun herself on his cock. The cop drilled the telegram girl in the car while Wadsworth ran around furiously masturbating and suggesting random pairings wildly. <laughs> Finally, as Mrs. Peacock was being double-teamed by Professor Plum and the passing motorist against the cellar door, the hinges gave way by the sheer force of their fucking and the bodily fluid soaking the door. All fell down the stairs in a nine-man exhausted pool of death and orgy. The only one who survived was Mr. Green. I'm going home, he said, to have sex with my wife. But first, hand me that candlestick. All right, thank you. <laughs> Sean Keane. All right. Who's coming? Caitlin, you out there? Are you lurking in the darkness? You ready? Caitlin Gill. Ladies and gentlemen, Caitlin Gill. So I had Little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> Little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> you did this to yourselves. <laughs> Olive had convinced her family to help her follow her dream. Her dream to be Little Miss Sunshine. The clan had packed up their busted VW van with luggage and hopes and were midway between their Albuquerque home and the contest in Redondo Beach, California when Grandpa died. With no time to properly process the paperwork, Grandpa was forced to stick along for the ride, his decaying body producing organic smells in the desert sun. Perhaps it was the stench that drove them to distraction, but they decided to test Olive's emo teenage brother, Dwayne, for colorblindness, which he had, shattering his dreams to become a warmongering fighter pilot. <laughs> he exploded with rage, opening the door of the van, forcing them to stop. He ran into an open field, breaking his whiny vow of silence and hurling insults at his family. His little sister approached him silently and embraced him, calming him. She said, I think I know what we all need pulling out a baggie of the same black tar heroin that had claimed Grandpa's fragile life. <laughs> Little Olive expertly dosed each family member. Father Richard, Mother Cheryl, homo Uncle Frank, and weenie brother Dwayne. <laughs> While in a stupor of narcotic bliss, Olive approached her brother. Look, Dwayne, when I hug you, my face is right at your waist. She hugged him, and her brother was too wimpy and fucked up to resist her childish yet overtly sexual advance. <laughs> She gave his zipper a raspberry with her lips, and his jeans twitched. Though his mother wanted to pull the two apart, knowing it was unnatural, she was just happy to see her wimpy son aroused by a woman's touch. <laughs> Olive's father wanted to resist, but grief from his own father's recent death gave him a hunger for craven sex, the start of all life. 
his attention turned away from his children. Son now nodded off, his dick only hard by the power of raw teenage sexual prowess, his daughter eagerly tasting his man lollipop. (laughs) Oh, it only gets worse. (laughs) He pulled himself over to the body of his father, the son feeling an opiate bond with his patriarch. I didn't get to tell him I loved him. He cradled his father's head in his lap and he cried out, I love you! It was a huge Greg Kinnear Oscar moment. <laughs> he stared at his father's face, his fingers tracing the lines around his mouth, held gaping open, just slackened by death, now beginning to stiffen. Before he knew what he was doing, his manhood was inside his father's mouth, his member no longer as impotent as his failed book deals. <laughs> oh, Alan Orkin, you have push darted my cock just like we pushed dart our van! <laughs> Homo Uncle Frank tugged at his suicidal dick, enjoying the gay, incestuous action. Really, Steve Carella was just happy to have a day out of the Daily Show gulag. <laughs> Meanwhile, Olive and her brother Dwayne were entering adulthood as coached by their mother, Cheryl, now forcing Dwayne to take notes as he watched his mother eating the pussy of her young daughter. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Richard approached, now mad with grief and lust. He looked at Olive and said... I'm going to make you little miss where the sun don't shine. (laughs) And then he totally butt-fucked his daughter. (laughs) The family laid sprawled in the field, spent. They wearily climbed back into the van and they carried on. Olive made the pageant, and though barely able to walk after managing her father's bulk, she danced the dance her grandpa had taught her, a burlesque script to Rick James' super freak. The audience was appalled, but the family gathered her into their warm embrace. They knew they had just overlooked the beauty she had inside. Inside her asshole held gaping by her grieving father. <laughs> they pushed out of the van, and they drove off into the sunset. Good night, and you're welcome. <laughs> Caitlin Gill! Who else we got back there? Kevin O'Shea, ladies and gentlemen. Six Feet Under. There it is. Yes. Created by Alan Ball, as interpreted by Kevin O'Shea, sucking Alan Ball's balls. (laughs) Life had been hard for David Fisher. He'd always felt pressured to compensate for his older brother, Nate. He had to work twice as hard to keep his family afloat, which is why he spent his Saturday night alone at the funeral parlor. He had restored a particularly damaged corpse of a man who tried unsuccessfully to fuck a tiger. <laughs> they said he'd fallen in the cage on accident, but David knew better. The dead man had a raging heart on and a condom to protect himself from tiger aids. <laughs> <laughs> Only he had worn real protection. He might have survived his tiger fuck. David didn't mind being alone with the dead. In fact, that would be, you know, part of another sitcom on another channel. No, sitcom, a television show on another channel when he moves to Miami and starts working for the police about bloodstains. He liked the dead. Didn't mind the dead bodies. Sometimes, dead bodies almost seemed alive. Sometimes, they talked to him. And sometimes, they fucked. (laughs) It all started the boy of a young man who died before he realized if he was gay. David showed him that he was gay. He was deep into his body, deep into his reaches, David's bodily fluids mixing with the embalming fluids. Suddenly, he remembered Claire's friends dipping their joints into the embalming fluids to get high, and he wondered if one could get high from smoking his formaldehyde-covered cock. Suddenly, Nate walked in. David, do you know where Mom keeps the Vaseline? 
Suddenly he turned. David, what are you doing? It's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. So you're not fucking that dead body in a deep wound caused by a tiger claw? Okay, so it's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> you need to try the wound two inches lower. It's much deeper, Nate said. Wait, you fucked this body? Oh, yeah. Ever since Brenda started fucking her brother Billy again, she hasn't been enough for me. So I've just been, you know, fuck-pounding every corpse that comes through here. <laughs> I felt so alone this whole time. I thought I was the only one who fuck-pounded these bodies. But I, now I know that we have so much in common. You're my brother, David, Nate said. So he hugged his sibling. We have to love each other. Nate went in for the hug. He reached above his brother David's head with one hand and pulled it down. The other hand, reaching down to a fly to unrelease his monster cock. All of a sudden, David was blowing his brother. He was blowing his brother the way a clown blew a balloon. The way a high school senior blows off his classes. The way a terrorist blows up a check station in Gaza. When David's throat could take no more, he pulled out his brother cock and cum sprayed across the screen, wide out. <laughs> Things had gotten a little crazy since then for the Fisher family. For so long, they'd been so dysfunctional. Finally, they learned how to get along. All they had to do was fuck constantly and furiously to tire themselves out so they couldn't argue. The incestual Billy and Brenda fit in perfectly. Keith took some convincing. I mean, if you call getting reamed up the ass by Ruth with a dildo convincing, because he definitely took that. <laughs> From then on, they had bi-nightly fuckfests that were definitely heavy on the bi. <laughs> Nate Fisher would come at 78, 50, 78 p.m. with his sister-in-law fist plummeting his prostate. Wide out. Claire would come at 8.45 p.m., her ass hanging out of a hearse with a disemboweled foot up it. White out. <laughs> Ruth would come alone at 11.59 p.m., upset that neither of her sons could get her off. White out. <laughs> Nate never came. His aneurysm killed him halfway through the orgy. <laughs> the end. Thank you, guys. Kevin O'Shea. Thanks, buddy. Jules? Ivan? Someone, just pop out. doesn't matter. Come on, get up here. Get up here. Jules Poser, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Do I just start? However you want to do it. I'm starting. <laughs> uh, uh, this is called the Berenstein Bears in What You Heard Last Night. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> it was an almost perfect morning deep in bear country. Almost perfect, because despite the glow of the sun and the gentle breezes along the dirt road that led to the big treehouse where the Bernstein family resides, there was a sense of uneasiness that fell over the house. It was quiet at the breakfast table. All you can hear was the slow chewing and swallowing of fresh porridge, the traditional bear meal in stories involving anthropomorphic bears. <laughs> The silence would be interrupted from time to time by Honey Bear thrashing about and making a mess in her baby bear high chair. Honey Bear was quite the handful, despite the fact that many readers were unaware that she was added to the series long after anyone who could truly appreciate the Berenstein Bears grew out of reading the books. <laughs> 
This futile attempt to inject new life into the series, figuratively and literally, kept spilling her porridge and crying because she knows that whenever a baby is brought into a fictional family, that story quickly ends. (laughs) Stop that, Mama Bear said, restraining Honey Bear's arms. Mama Bear had trouble controlling Honey Bear because Mama Bear did not expect to have another baby considering her ovaries were more dried out were so dried out, in fact, it was like a catcher's glove in summer. <laughs> and she, they thought, everybody thought Mama Bear was out of business. Uh, Mama Bear had enough of Honey Bear's fidgeting, so she pulled her out of her high chair and walked, in, walked her into her bedroom, holding the baby like the sack of shit extra character that she is. <laughs> when Mama Bear left the room, Papa Bear could sense some uneasiness. Any plans today, kids? Papa Bear said, trying to break the silence. What happened last night? Sister Bear responded, almost without hesitation. (laughs) Brother Bear lifted his head from the porridge and started to shake his head, fearing that this question may get them in trouble. What do you mean, Papa Bear said, knowing full well that Sister Bear was inquiring about the sounds of fucking. Since Papa Bear hadn't slept yet because he had to pick up a second job working the graveyard shift at a Build-A-Bear manufacturing plant, <laughs> ironically, he had been drinking all night and had no time for these bullshit kids who were not only in their mid-twenties and still lived at home, <laughs> but they still couldn't identify the sounds of fucking when they heard them. <laughs> we were fucking, he yelled. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yeah, wrong page. You guys are so old now. Why are you still here? He snapped. I'm sorry, said Sister Bear, and she looked back down at her porridge. It sounded like you were hurting Mama. Hurting her? Papa Bear said quickly. Of course I was hurting her. This was the first time we fucked since Honey Bear destroyed your mom's vagina for the third goddamn time. (laughs) Bitch is like 55. Her snatch is just really tightened up on your old man. And I'm a bear. I have a huge cock. And your mom is old as fuck. How did we have another kid? (laughs) I'm going for a walk, Papa Bear said. Papa Bear went down the road for a cigarette and to blow off some steam because it was hard for him to look at the two failures of children that sat around the table. (laughs) Mama Bear was preoccupied with the baby. She brought Honey Bear to the tree swing and kept her busy there. Meanwhile, Brother and Sister Bear were still at the table. Brother Bear looked up from his porridge and said, It worked. Smiling slyly at Sister Bear. Sister Bear tucked her bottom lip under her top lip because she knew what the fuck was up. (laughs) Unbeknownst to Mama and Papa Bear, Brother and Sister Bear had been having a secret incestual relationship since their teens, thus proving why they wouldn't move out because your fuck buddy is literally right next door. (laughs) And so Sister Bear got out of her chair, walked to Brother Bear, grabbed him by the collar of his red polo shirt he'd been wearing for 25 consecutive years... (laughs) And kissed him hard on the lips. Brother Bear easily undid the buttons on his Sister Bear's purple overalls because he's got a lot of practice at this point and she wears the same thing also. (laughs) She picked him up by the skin on the back of his neck and placed him on the table because essentially, inside, they are still cubs. 
she, she started working her way down his body with kisses until she reached the top of Brother Bear's seamless and zipperless and buttonless jeans. <laughs> oh, no, Brother said. Oh, yes, Sister Bear said, raising Brother Bear's legs to his chest so she could do what he loved most. She began to give him a rim job. <laughs> growling as bears do as she dug her face into his hairy bear asshole. Bear meaning both things. It was naked and he is a bear. She licked it without shame or fear. She even licked his dingleberries. Which, yes, those Charmin toilet paper commercials are true. Bears do use toilet paper on the regs. <laughs> Meanwhile, Papa met Mama in the yard, and as they approached the house through the window, Mama and Papa Bear saw what was happening, the old rusty trombone, as Brother Bear was bent over the kitchen table. And lovingly, Papa Bear looked into Mama Bear's eyes and said, After we're done fucking to the side of this, I guess it's a good time to tell them we're brother and sister. The end. <laughs> Jules Plazer. Great job, buddy. And keeping over, Ivan Hernandez, ladies and gentlemen, your final contestant this evening, Mr. Ivan Hernandez. John Travolta awoke in a deep malaise. <laughs> Prying open the tank full of L. Ron Hubbard's preserved semen in which he spent his nights, <laughs> he grabbed the quarter pounder with cheese which he kept on his nightstand and slowly massaged his flaccid, nub-like cock within its buns. One royale with cheese. Extra special sauce. He muttered to himself before shooting a yellowed glob of semen upon the burger and pushing the meal into his face, not even chewing on the mashed remains. In a warlock sex castle transplanted stone by stone from its native Scotland, Nicolas Cage applied the skull makeup which began his daily routine. Ghost riding at nine, followed by a round of bee stings at ten. <laughs> Just the remembrance of the feeling of thousands of bees stinging at his every orifice prompted a round of masturbation, finishing into the bottle of Coppola Vineyard wine, which he would later send back to his uncle. Oh, Nick's phone rang, a plaintive voice on the other end. Nikki, it whined. It's John. John Walker Lind, the infamous American Taliban, Cage asked. Because I thought our business was concluded. <laughs> it's Travolta, Big T, T-Zone. Oh, hey, John. I've got an appointment with a very special group of ladies at 10, and I need to start applying honey to my, all my problem areas now. <laughs> You're a method guy, right? Indeed, Cage was. For Vampire's Kiss, he had drank human blood for two years prior. They still never found the victims of his training for raising Arizona. <laughs> it's the only way to capture a subject, to become it, to live as it would, to eat as it would eat, to stick your dick where it would stick its dick. Well, you remember Face Off? You remember how you wanted us to actually switch faces, but the surgery would have killed us both? Well, now I'm ready. Cage pondered. Method training for a film he'd already made? No one had done it! <laughs> he'd be more famous than Strasburg. He'd embarrass the legacy of Stella Adler more than he'd already done when he'd dug up her bones and fashioned a cock ring out of her pelvis. <laughs> You're on, Battlefield Girth. Where do we do this? <laughs> 
In an abandoned warehouse in Los Feliz, gurneys stood side by side. A team of doctors milled about nervously as Cage entered. He and Travolta shook hands. This is going to make Sanford Meisner look like a pile of dog cum with a hat on it. (laughs) Cage beamed as the gas mask went over his face. When he awoke, he pawed at himself, yet there were no bandages. Nose that wowed can? Smile that won over Sundance? My God, it's still there. He looked downward, a cast over his groin. (laughs) No, he growled, ripping at the gauze and cloth. A tiny nub of a cock stared back at him, unfamiliar. (laughs) You stole my dick, Travolta! (laughs) A doctor wheeled out a cathode tube television. Travolta's face appeared. I'm sorry for the deception, Nick, but I knew there was no way you'd agree otherwise, he reasoned. I've got your cock, and by this time tomorrow, it's going to have seen more pool boys' assholes than Liberace on poppers. Ta-ta! Cage grabbed the doctor, putting a scalpel to his neck. Where did my pee-pee go? He screamed. I don't know, the doctor pleaded. Wrong answer, Cage growled, and sliced the doctor's throat. Might as well test this thing out, he said, spreading the severed carotid to the width of a Malaysian hooker's prostate. (laughs) At an airstrip across town, Travolta hurried a gang of wayward youths who'd never visited the big city into his private jet. Come on, boys. Uncle John John's got to get airborne before he can get airborne, if you know what I mean. They didn't, but were excited to meet the star from Paris with love. (laughs) Over the horizon, a dot appeared. It can't be, Travolta muttered. The flaming motorcycle grew closer, a cloud trailing behind. Thousands and thousands of bees blocked out the sun. Nobody steals little Nicky and gets away with it. Barring Happy Madison Productions, Cage screamed as he jumped his cycle into the jet's turbines. Travolta emerged from his aerosexual capsule and brandished a pistol, which he pointed at his own crotch. You make one move, and there won't be enough flesh left to make Talia Shire's trademark meatloaf. Cage smirked. Get em, boys, he commanded, and a litany of bees descended on the flabby actor, stinging him in places only Gabe Kaplan had touched. (laughs) The bees dissipated, leaving a twitching mass of stings and transplanted dong. Cage tore the cock stitches free, reclaiming what was once his. A flock of dubs fluttered behind him, and he grabbed the nearest, wrenching its head off and drinking from the dripping stump. Ah, tastes like 1989. That's it. <laughs> Ivan Hernandez. Stay right here, man. I'm bringing everybody back out to vote. Let's get everybody from round two back on stage. Now, once again, remind you what everybody wrote. So we started with Sean Keen with Clue, and then we had Caitlin Gill with Little Miss Sunshine. Then Kevin O'Shea with Six Feet Under, Jules Posner with the Berenstain Bears, and finally Ivan Hernandez with Face Off. So... With your applause, starting from Sean Keen, Clue. Caitlin Gill, Little Miss Sunshine. Kevin O'Shea, Six Feet Under. Jules Posner, Berenstain Bears. 
Ivan Hernandez face-off. Your round two champion, Sean Keen, ladies and gentlemen. His second win here in San Francisco. Very exciting. Young upstart, Sean Keen. Let's hear it for everybody you saw tonight, guys. Thank you so much for coming out. That does it for round two, and congratulations, Sean Keen. To hear round one from this show featuring Baron Vaughn, David Borey, Jesse Elias, Nato Green, and Natasha Muse, go download episode 17. Coming up, we got August 20th back at Nerd Melt in Los Angeles at 7 p.m. with special guest Marilyn Rice Cup. August 23rd and 24th, I'll be doing stand-up at the High Plains Comedy Festival in Denver. No fan fiction at that fest, but I'll be back to do it in Denver soon. Uh, August 26th, I'm doing stand-up opening for Kyle Kinane at Latitude 44 in Sioux Falls. August 27th, we're doing fan fiction at The Waiting Room in Omaha, Nebraska, featuring Kyle Kinane. September 1st, I'll be at Bumbershoot in Seattle with a great lineup. September 7th at Union Hall in Brooklyn. As always, you can find more details in the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Facebook group, and I'll see you next time. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Thank <laughs> you.